Are you looking to sharpen your command and leadership skills? The 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference is coming back to the Sharonville Convention Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, September 30th through October 4th. Immerse yourself in five days of targeted command education and leadership training at the 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference. This is your opportunity to recharge your command skills and stay at the forefront of incident command best practices. This year, we've added a certification lab, September 30th through October 2nd. Also added a May Day workshop, October 1st to October 2nd. The general conference is on October 3rd and 4th. The May Day workshop is filling up fast, and our early bird pricing of $415 each for the general conference is a limited time offer. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Register now at HazardZoneBC.com. Hello, B-Shifters. Welcome back. On this episode of B-Shifter, we will be speaking with Murray Laughlin. Murray right now is an investigator with NIOSH, investigating firefighter line of duty deaths. Uh, Previous to that, he retired out of the uh, Virginia Beach Fire Department as a battalion chief. He served as their first safety officer. He worked in the extension office for the state of Virginia in fire training. And more importantly, probably other than all that great work he's done, uh, he was on the original NFPA 1500 technical committee, uh, along with Chief Alan Brunacini, where he continues to serve. And today he's going to give us some really good background on how 1500 started, the things that they worked on, that whole process. And then uh, at the end, we're going to be uh, hanging out with Nick Brunacini, Josh Bloom, and Jeff King where we will do a timeless tactical truth along with Murray. A lot in this episode. We're glad you're here. Now let's uh, join this conversation with Murray Laughlin. Um, Let's talk a little bit about 1500 and how that committee worked and your involvement in NFPA 1500 when it started out. Well, it started with um, Chief Brunacini. He had this vision as, as... Bruno, only Bruno can do, but there was no true health and safety standard um, requirements for the American Fire Service. So he went to Bruce Teal at NFPA, who was with Public Power Protection Division, and talked to him about it, Um, got Rich Duffy involved with the, Rich was the Director of Health and Safety at the IFF, and they kind of formulated this plan and put a proposal into the NFPA Standards Council. And this kind of started um, very early 80s. And so they put in a um, request for a new standard, and um, it went through this, got passed by the Standards Council. So they started advertising for technical members of the technical committee and um i got on in april 1986 and i've been on the committee since it's uh funny because for those of us who've been in the fire service for a little bit 
it seems like 1500s a new thing sometimes even you know these 30 some years later yes because some people are still having difficulty following that standard when the standard came out what do you think the number one impact is that it made on the fire service one it, it, it and and this was was Bruno's goal was we have to take care of our people our members of the department and he had it mapped out um really it's it's a way that the the standard is 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 established is making sure the organization has the has their component the strategic portion of it is to what what do we need to do to take care of our people and it, it covered it he, he wanted to really address everything starting from training um, how we train our firefighters um, our officers and then um, personal protective equipment um, the, the the importance of the safety officer that that was a huge one and kind of a sidebar nfpa it was initially called nfpa 1501 standard for fire department safety officer was adopted in 1977 so it had been around for for quite quite some time so that came under our technical committee and um one of the the biggest i think components was health maintenance making sure that took care of our people from start to finish that you left the department the same way you came in and and that was i think that was huge and um john one of the things he did um the 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 technical committee we adopted nfpa 1500 in in um, at the annual meeting in may of 1980 1987 excuse me in So right after that, we went to work. Where do we need to go now that we have this this standard in place? And one of the the first thing was he put together a group of physicians to write a um, um, medical requirements for firefighters. And the physician who was running um, the um, Phoenix Fire Department. The health center? The health center, right health center it would be called um and so they got occupational physicians try to get fire department physicians to to be on this um uh, new standard and i went to actually went to the first meeting and it was kind of interesting the the original medical requirements for firefighters was in 1001 and the docs looked at it um the 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 requirements had come from the the military and there there were ask looking for in this, in 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 1001 that some of the physicians had never even heard of so we petitioned the the uh, training committee uh, 1001 and got it moved moved over to to our technical committee but that was that was a huge huge, huge issue and so as um and, and maybe back up a second um, w- with the development of NFPA 1500 we received I think over 1400 comments on the on the standard and at the time that 
if a committee got 50 or 60, that was a lot. So we, we actually spent a week here in Phoenix answering all those comments. And, um, there were people that got up at the, at annual meeting and spoke against it. And, but we were fortunate enough that, um, we were able to, to get the, the, um, the standard pass. What was their beef? What was, what didn't they like about it back in 1986? Um, you're taking all the fun out of the fire service. You're going to, you're going to make us drive the way we driving was a, was a huge issue. As an example, um, the health maintenance requirements, you're, you're going to put us out of business. Oh, wow. And, um, you hear the same thing about things these days when, when, you know, you're trying to do something different and yes, absolutely. And, um, people would come to our committee meetings and, and, and just, come unglued and you know we let everybody speak their piece but um in the end you know we 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 stood our ground and um and and the document at the time when it came out was maybe 20 pages and now it's up on 100 pages or so so we've vastly improved on it and it's in its eighth edition i think i think one of the things that uh, chief bernasini said at the time of the inception of the NFP 1500 committee was we need to take better care of our firefighters than our fire trucks. And we need to spend more money on our firefighters and our fire trucks. Cause that just wasn't the case at, at a certain time. In our exactly. You're, you're exactly right. And, um, one of the things that, um, we did in, in, in Virginia beach, um, when I was with the department, we started annual physicals and, uh, we were fortunate enough to have a, physician, the city physician, um, and he took care of police and fire. But um, he was on the, the original um, 1582 task group and um, really had had a huge hand in it with, with all the other the docs. And um, we, we still have one or two that were on originally. So um, it's uh, it, it, it's it's wonderful that, that, that we how we do this and now we're moving even further into the the, the behavioral health and the, the the mental health component which we've added requirements in 1500 as well as 1582 and that standard's going to be perpetual do you think do you yes. think it'll just yes. keep, keep being just, added just, to just it? keep keep added and we're, we're we're truly fortunate to um, have a wonderful set of of fire department doctors that donate their time to, to, to this, this process. And, and it's just like anything else, the the medical side continues to change. And, um, you know, we have to make sure that, that we, um, uh, maintain that. And we've also worked with the IFF. They had the, um, original, um, labor management, um, component where they actually develop medical requirements. So what we did is the, the two documents mirror each other. And um, so it's, we, we, you know, we've worked very, very hard um, to, to make sure that that happens. When you look at the line of duty deaths, I think in the mid eighties, we pretty much cut it in half since then, haven't we? NFPA started doing that, keeping the data in 1977 and there were, years we had 160 170 firefighter fatalities so um we've we've really 
work very diligently trying to to re- reduce that um, with, with with a lot of other folks. But um, I, I like to give a lot of credit to the to the standard what it's what it's done. And one of the things that we put in the second edition is, um, and, and this was based upon the. The, the issues people raise, but we put a compliance document in there. So as you're working to comply with NFPA 1500, this charts you through every pair, every section of, of the, the standard. And it seemed to work out very, very well. Um, actually, Scott Kerwood did that um, when he was with Tulsa Fire Department. And um, we, we, we adopted or got it in, into the standard. So it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, one of the big things it did for us was the automobile operations or, you know, apparatus operations, particularly when it came to wearing seatbelts and no longer riding on the tailboard. I mean, uh, that, 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 was all, that was immediate with our fire department. We were like, okay, everybody's inside the cab now. Everybody's belted. And oddly enough, that was the first year in 1986 when we, I think it was 1986, we got our first turbo on a diesel motor. So, you know, we started getting engines that could really speed yes. i mean compared to the old ones yes. so it was right on time i think as far as technology and you know the speed of apparatus that we saw it, I, I think it helped keep us a lot safer than we were operating before we went to we chief brunacini met with the chairman of the 1901 committee at the time i think it was chief blackburn from chicago and said you know we we we're putting in our standard that there is no more riding on the tailboard everything will be fully enclosed and it took us a while took them a while to to they went kind of back and forth a little bit but you know hence i think bruno played a huge part in getting fully enclosed fire apparatus in this country yeah absolutely you know off the tailboard seated and belted um and, and, you know, it's just, it, it was huge. Hearing conservation program with that part of your, um, your, your health maintenance program, um, you know, with, uh, headsets in, inside, we move siren locations, air horns and, and different things. So it, it yeah, there, there, there are just so many components. There was a period of time that being a firefighter is a foregone conclusion that you're going to lose your hearing. You were going to have a huge hearing deficit just because of where the siren was and how the horns were mounted. And the, you know, it was right in the front grill of the engine that would, you know, bleed right through. And oftentimes there wasn't even backing on the mechanical siren. So you'd get a full blast in the cab. Oh, sure, sure. O- open apparatus, you know, open yeah. cab apparatus. Um, and, and, and that created some problems when we start our hearing conservation program in Virginia Beach, was we started having having hearing problems so um you know most of it we didn't have to retire anybody thank goodness but we we start a very very aggressive program so it, it wouldn't get any worse uh, it would it would improve so and this generation doesn't i know they appreciate it but they don't realize you know riding on the tailboard or riding in an open um, uh, jump seat or whatever, and um, all all those issues. I think uh, getting to the safety officer component of the standard and uh, 
you know, we saw the explosion where departments like Virginia Beach would add the safety officer, and that really became part of our part of our organizations. Um, how have you seen that role evolve since the original inception? You guys were putting pen to paper, thinking about how the safety officer would look. What's changed since then? How did it start and how did it change? It really started, um, we looked at um, one having a manager of the, the health and safety program, it's termed health and safety um, officer now, and um, somebody that basically is the compliance officer to NFPA 1500. And, and, and uh, like in Virginia, we're in OSHA state. So we had OSHA requirements that we had to, to meet um, right off the top of my head. I remember when um, infection control back in the late 80s, early 90s became an issue. And so we had to hustle and um, deal with things like hepatitis B, HIV, um, th- those types of things. So um, it, it it, it was a very interesting time and, and, and a, um, I want to say a um, satisfying part of my job. So I think that that part's involved, uh, evolved, excuse me. And then we looked at it f- from the, the safety on the, on the fire ground. What does, what's, what, what do we want the safety officer to do? And, so we expanded NFPA 15, it went from 1501 to NFPA 1521. Um, and since then it's become a pro qual standard and, um, the, the pro professional qualifications technical committee has been after us for years, just like 472. So both those now are, are pro qual standards. And so what we had to deal with in terms of what you actually do, we moved to 1500 for the health and safety officer and then NFPA 1561 for the safety officer role. And I, I, it, it, I think it really helped take, take off in terms of popularizing that position, how important it was. You're, you're not the PPE police or, or what, but how, you 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 work with the incident commander what what your assignments are and and, and so forth so we we've we've worked um really really hard to to make that happen when the safety officer is used appropriately it makes a huge impact on the fire ground i, I see a lot of times and and blue card tries to address this a little bit where the safety officer becomes tactical and you know they get to the charlie side suddenly safety becomes Charlie division and they're calling for a two and a half. And, and that's one of the things, you know, with an embedded safety that we're, we're getting away from because that's not, that's not their role. They're not yes. there to be tactical. They're there for safety and, uh, and to watch out over oh, people. Oh, a- yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and then one of the, the other things that, that we looked at, depending upon the size, um, of the, of the structure, you may have some assistant safety officers, um, at, at, or for or a technical safety officer, like her hazmat incident or, um, a special ops incident or something like that. Because one of the things we, we, we changed is if you're going to be the safety officer for 
hazmat incident or a technical rescue incident, you have to have the qualifications. So somebody understands this is what is going on operationally and they know exactly what to, to look for and, and function. Even if, if I didn't, I can still be the safety officer of the overall, but we have a safety officer dedicated to the, to what's exactly going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as far as my city goes, it's, it impacts every event that we do. We have a safety officer. If we have a fireworks or a community festival or whatever, we're, we're, it's a, and it's a fire department employee that is the safety officer. They're writing the safety plan and they're on site to make sure that things go well. And it's a direct correlation to NFPA 1500 because we would have never known about it. Nor, you know, NFPA uh, 15, uh, what's the uh, 1561? 1561 is yeah, Emergency fi- um, Services Incident Management oh. and Command Safety. What, which one? Uh, 1521 is oh, the safety yeah, officer. 1521. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we run it, you know, just yeah. like that. So when, when you think about the impact that this has made throughout the United States on just everyday, even non-emergency incidents, it's pretty huge. I was fortunate enough, Chief Dizel, when, when I was in safety, I came out. Um, Bruce Varner was a safety officer here. And so I spent some time out here, one, just riding with him, but also trying to what what is exactly am I going to do? So um, that was my really first exposure to the Phoenix Fire Department, and and uh, something I'll I'll never forget. I mean, they were anything I wanted to do. They they were so gracious, and it 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 was it was a lot of fun. When you look at the amount of people whose careers have been directly influenced by coming and spending time with Alan Brunacini's Phoenix Fire Department during those, especially those Halcyon days when. Um, they were innovative and doing a lot, not to say that they're not doing anything now. I'm just not familiar with their operation now, but, um, you know, that must've been wild. Oh, absolutely. And, and I can remember technical meetings, technical committee meetings. We had one up in, um, on Long Island, um, to answer, um, proposals for the second edition of 1500. So we went into the city and everybody in FDNY wanted to meet Bruno. Everybody, and and um, so you know, it's kind of nice to <laughs> to to be on his coattails. And and um, but we went on. I don't know if it was Marine One, the firefighter, huge fireboat. They took us out on the East River and and everywhere we wanted to go. Um, we went over to Rescue One. They had just relocated because of their quarters burned. But I can remember the captain on the rescue. He was just ecstatic when Bruno walked in. He was that was that made his day. Yeah. And um, but we we had 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 a lot of times. Um, we had a meeting in Roanoke, Virginia, one time. We went to Grumman. Um, they made fire apparatus over in Vinton. We went over there. They had us over for lunch. Um, people would have. Um, we had a meeting in San Diego, um, one time and. I want to say it was engine 27 and truck 27 down the street had us all down for supper. Um, we, we used to have, you know, we, we met so many wonderful people and, um, it, 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 it's, it's part of my fire service career that, that I'll never, ever forget. And walking down the street, like at FDIC with Bruno was like being with a rock star. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't go a half a block without people stopping, taking pictures, talking to them. Um, if they had a book, he'd sign it. Um, and he was really one of those guys. And I tell people that if you called him, if you said, I'm coming to Phoenix, want to have breakfast? 
He'd say sure. Yeah. I mean, he 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 did that with everybody, yeah. and uh, and genuinely, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't just to be a good guy. Yeah. That was him. A- absolutely, absolutely. And um, I remember. I mean, we would fight like cats and dogs, but at five o'clock, everybody was out the door, and we all went to the bar. Mm-hmm. But we we did everything together, and and uh, it. It, it was so much fun. From the time that it started to get the entire standard together, first first edition, you know, get get it out and approved. How long did that take, John? I think um, it, it's it's about a five year process. So it started in eighty two or eighty three before I got on the technical committee. I, I got on at the the very end when we were answering the public comments, but they um, they had put a um, a, a group together. Um, that um, had had uh, had one meeting before I joined, and so once we we finished up the '87 edition, um, we we started on the 1992 edition plus um, the medical health maintenance and and a PA 1561. So we 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 worked on. We had a lot of meetings, but it, it was it was fun and be also you know to be able to travel around the country. We would come out here for for, for meetings, um, but um, we'd go to like I said San Diego, and so it it was um, it, it it was just a lot of fun. If anyone listening has an interest in being on any NFPA committee, what advice would you give them? Um, and I I know every once in a while you see they're calling for experts and. Certain fields. What what would you say to them? I would um, go to the NFPA website um, and check on um, um, the the standards making process, and they list all the committees they're trying to um, recruit members for the technical committee, and, and it, it's such a worthwhile adventure. Uh, it, it, I don't know if it's really an adventure, but it's it's just a lot of fun because. Not only do you understand the the standards making process, but it helped me professionally. Um, I still have a good friend. He's retired from uh, Los Angeles, Bob Nemi, and he was a safety officer in Los Angeles when I started. So um, we were going through an issue. We were trying to put everybody in uh, flame retardant work uniforms, and they had done the same thing. So. Um, he, he helped me and then Bob eventually became number two. He became the deputy chief of ops, um, before he retired. And, but he helped me when I got promoted to battalion chief. Um, I actually went out and they, they helped me operationally, um, you know, strategically. And, um, so it's, it's, it's been a lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, And that's just one example, but, um, it, it's a it's a commitment of time, but you you also have a um, um, uh, ability to make change in the fire service. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Looking back, and maybe even it's a change that happened in subsequent editions, but it, it wasn't in that first. When when you guys got done, did you look back and say, "Oh man, we missed something"? Was there something that you missed that ended up coming back? But with with um, Bruno's crystal clear vision. We had a meeting in July of 80, 1987. He had everybody out here. Um, 
the one thing I remember one day it was 121 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what anybody says, dry heat or not, it was hot. <laughs> um, and God bless him. He would allow us to go into the, he'd, he'd give us 20 minutes, everybody go get in the pool. Um, but he had, we, we took, we did, we went back and looked. Um, I can't really remember anything specifically. It was more of what we wanted to add and, um, and where we wanted to take these, um, these new documents. And, um, so we, we had probably three days of pretty intense planning to, to, to find some direction and, and he had it all mapped out and, um, it, it it's it's a roadmap we've we've followed since then if anybody listening has been in a meeting with uh, chief brunacini it's it was such an interesting process to watch because you knew in his head he knew where he wanted it to go but it was a series of questions he calls it breadcrumb management i think you know else <laughs> he throws it out there and a collective of people will come to a conclusion and i think he knew where we were going the whole time but he helped us get there. You know, that, that was just an amazing thing to watch and such a gift that, you know, as a, as a fire chief, I'm sure we all wish that we had, yes. uh, and we've tried to emulate, but it's uh man, there was only one. You know? One of the first things, um, NFPA 600, which is the standard for industrial fire brigades, they consistently went to the standards council and said, you're treading on our turf. And Bruno said, no, we, we're dealing with maybe industrial fire departments, but not industrial fire brigades. So we had, it, it, back when NAP had their fall meetings, um, I can't remember what year it was, but he had a meeting with the standards council and whoever the chair was of NAP 600. And it's the only time I ever saw Bruno in a coat and tie. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, he, uh, you know, only in, 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 in how Bruno can deal with things, we, we got everybody calmed down and, 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 and move forward. But, um, they even put somebody from their technical committee on our committee and they came to one meeting and, but, um, it was, uh, you know, that, that was kind of interesting. So, so we were talking a little bit about behavioral health. Um, what do you think is next? What, what are we looking at for behavioral health right now? And what's on the horizon for us? That's, that's a very good question. We have um, been blessed to have um, some behavioral health experts, subject matter experts that have helped us with development of the, the language. And it's actually a, a new chapter. Um, and so I'm hoping just a continuation of, of where we're going and, and how important it is, just as it is important to take care of have our medical examinations. You know, we need to take a look at how, how we're doing. And, and, and right now is a kind of a, an excellent time to, you know, points out all the struggles that professionally at work, um, with, with COVID. And, um, so, um, I, I think we, we've, we've made some pretty good strides with that, John. And I'm hoping that, um, the next edition we're getting ready to, we'll have a meeting next spring, um, to start the revi- the, uh, the next revision to 1500. So I know we'll go through and, and take a, take a look at that. 
you've been at this a long time and in terms of behavioral health. Do you think there's a better awareness now, or do you think there are more issues now with behavioral health? I, I, my personal opinion is I think we're finally recognizing how important it is that we've maybe not given it as much attention as we should have. And so maybe cat playing a little catch up, but I think we're, we're moving forward great guns with that and, and the benefit we get out of it. And it kind of goes back to that, that philosophy. We want you, when you come in at 19, 20 years old, you're fit as a fiddle, but when you're, it's time to retire. We, we want you to mentally, mentally and physically be in, in the same condition. Yes. And we, we see people, my state, uh, I'm in Minnesota, has a presumptive law now for PTSD. Yeah. Um, they fight us on that, the, the insurance sure. carrier, yes. because uh, especially we ha- we've had a lot of police officers go out with PTSD lately because of the, the civil unrest sure. and some of the issues we've had. Um, but that, that shouldn't stop people from recognizing and, and uh, get, getting help. If, if they the, the awareness think, yeah. and, and, and just how how truly important it is. And it's I think even more so now we're all juggling work, um, our personal lives, some working two jobs and, and everything and it, uh, with all that. And so it's I think it's 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 good. It's really good. Anything else on the horizon? Do you think uh, NFPA fifteen hundred wise that well, we're looking at? Um, NFPA um, they, they're um, kind of making some changes. They're condensing standards. NFPA fifteen hundred fifteen twenty one and fifteen sixty one will all become fifteen fifty. So I'm not really sure what it's going to look like. Um, and then on the the uh, health side, the infection control standard fifteen twenty one. 1582, the health, um, uh, health, uh, the fitness standard, um, rehab, and there's going to be a new one on contamination. Those will all be in a, in a, in a document together. So technically what NPA has done is split the technical committee. So we'll have the operational side and then we'll have the medical or health maintenance side of it. So that's going to be interesting over the, the next couple of years to see, see how, how that pans out. We're not the only technical committee. I mean, all, most, most everybody is, um, is, is having, the, getting the, having that change. Does it ever frustrate you when you walk into a room or you talk to firefighters and you start talking about these standards and a lot of them have no idea what you're even talking about? Um, yes. Um, and, and one of the, one of the, the folks in the class here, um, asked me about, uh, since NIOSH certifies all respirators, you know, he says, I want to make sure our respiratory protection program is, is compliant with what, what you want to do. And so, uh, you know, very valid because that's one of the huge things we look at when, when we go in for an investigation. And, um, so, um, NFPA 1852, which is the selection care and maintenance of, of uh, respiratory protection equipment, is, is a great guide. And that's pretty much what we reference. But it, it outlines what you need to do. And um, it's uh, so it, 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 it's always, always something, John. You're a humble man. And, and you probably won't probably won't acknowledge this like I do. But 
I don't think there's another standard that's had the, the, the impact on the fire service that 1500s had. I mean, between what the, you know, Bruno kicking it off and really drawing awareness to it, being in there for as long as he was guiding the process and really making those meaningful changes. I don't know where we would be if we didn't do it. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you. And, um, as I tell people, I've, I've, I've been truly blessed. Um, I was secretary of the technical committee when he was chair, um, after, um, Gordon Routley left. And, um, so I, I got to know him even, even more so in, um, in, in, uh, in the, in the dealings with, with the standard and, and then also being able to, to talk to him, you know, just about, and he, as you well know, he loved to talk about instant management, fires and everything. And so it was, it was just, that's something that, 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 that I'm, very proud of and very happy to to have experienced. It was too short, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Well, you're doing great work. You know, your day job keeps you busy uh, keeping us safe and, and the uh, NFPA 1500 work you've done in the past and will continue to do with that technical committee uh, certainly puts us on a great path for the fire service, and there's so much to learn. We, we, we talk about 15, NFPA 1561, which was one of the, first documents that Chief Brunacini wanted to establish Um, because there really wasn't, I don't think, anything for the fire service. So as you all have moved blue card forward, does 1561 play a part in that? Yes. Mm -hmm. 1500 always was the big piece of it. But when you look now at kind of the recommendations and best practices and all of that is it really kind of comes out of the NFPA standards. I mean, that, that's who does the standards for the fire service, and that became the incident command standard. And when you look at the uh, kind of what the different systems, when you look at NFPA 1561, there are two standard systems, or NIMS and fire command. So they were part of the group that developed fire command back in the day, and that's more for the structural side. Yes. Well, the NIMS piece was never designed as a safety thing. It was designed as an organizational solution to have a lot of fire departments get together at the same incident scene. So the 1561 became a bigger and bigger deal as far as, at least in my eyes, of what NIOSH is doing with saying, no, these are the recommendations. And most... The recommendations that come out of those reports from NIOSH, I don't see a lot that's command system centric for organization like you would with NIMS. Mm-hmm. That's not what's killing us. It's the, the decision making and size up and applying the right actions to the set of conditions we're facing. And I really think that's where 1561 kind of comes in, as it says, this is what the system needs to do. And you could see the evidence of that with uh, <clears throat> after September 11th and Bush signed Presidential Executive 9 or whatever the hell else the rest of it was, where it made NIMS the law of the land. Well, when you would start to see some of these after-action reports from whatever happened that went sideways and somebody ended up getting injured and killed, NIMS never hit any of those recommendations because that's never what it was designed to do. 
So there was never Rick and NIMS. There was never strategy in NIMS. It was never designed to do that. Yeah. So it, it just, it was, there weren't safety officers in it until like the very end of it, to be honest. So I think the 1561 standard is, uh, it's the only occupational institutionalized thing that calls for being sane and controlled at the incident scene. So, yeah. I can remember talking with your, your dad one time. Um, I picked him up. Um, he actually came up to West Virginia, um, to uh, fire service extension. We did a weekend. Um, he came, came in and, and I picked him up in Charleston, drove him up to the, the wilds of Northern West Virginia. But in the two hour car ride we had, we talked about him developing fire command and, one of the things I always remember was he said, I, I went to all the fire scope meetings when they started fire scope over in California that I would go and, and, um, kind of watch how they were putting ICS together. And, um, I assume that had a, a big part of how fire command was developed. Well, what he said is, and he would, is, is they're putting NIMS together, two-eyed NIMS back in the day right. through, you know, the, basically the Riverside Deployment Center for the state of California. And then all the departments that run, they're in Los Angeles, essentially, is where that was born. Well, it, he went over and he, and, and it was an incident command system. And it was driven by all the wildland fires where you would have multiple departments getting there and they couldn't operate together. Yeah. So that's really what NIMS was developed for. Right. So he says, oh, this is great, and it'll do this and this and this. Well, he brings all this back to Phoenix, and this is in the 70s. <clears throat> and I don't think he was the fire chief yet. I think he was the chief of operations, essentially. Right. And back in those days, it was two. So you had the fire chief and the assistant chief. And, and then for all practical purposes, when he got promoted to assistant chief, he became the fire chief of the fire department. It's just the way he operated. <clears throat> so he brings NIMS the concepts of NIMS Incident Command to Phoenix. Meets with all the BCs, and he says, we're going to start doing Incident Command, and this is what this looks like. And he gets through the class with them, and it was, I don't know, an hour, two hours long, whatever. It was, it was a day is what he was spending. And he says, I presented the thing to him, and, you know, this is the new day, and this is what we're going to start doing. We're going to be organized. And he says, I get done. And he says, an older BC who had more time than he did, he says, you know, Alan, I understand everything you're trying to do. He says, but I don't know what you want me to do when I take command. He says, I understand the organizational piece, but how do you want me to command these events? No one's ever told us that. And he says, oh, give me a minute. And he says, I left, and I went back in and talked to you know, his, his band of revolutionaries. He says, what do we do? Says, we don't know. And he said, so we met for about six months, and we developed the functions of command. And he says, that became the routine for the IC and the thing. <clears throat> he says, that just wasn't in NIMS. It was never meant to be, because you still kept local control with the local fire department up until the time they all got together, and then they all had to operate within the big system. They developed the functions of command based on that, and he happened to be going to school. He had just got his bachelor's degree, and he had gone back for his master's. So his master's thesis became the eight functions of command. And that became the outline for the book Fire Command later on. So that's where it came from. 
is basically he couldn't teach NIMS and he had to come up with some kind of a routine for an urban structural fire department that has an IDLH. Yeah. NIMS was never designed around an IDLH. You, you always operated outside of it. it. I mean, the forest is on fire. You're not going to take attack lines and cut a roof in the hole over the forest to ventilate. And we, We've incorporated the eight functions of command into 1561 and, and also the, the command safety component, which I think is is, is really huge. And, and um, try to, to, to mirror what, what the chief... And his vision for 1561. Exactly. Well, to that end is we went to the last meeting they had for 1561. I think, yeah, we yeah. were all there together. Yeah, sure. And we, yeah. we, we, come, we put that into the standard. Yeah. Is it, and, and we even updated it to the, what's going to be the most current version of Fire Command here in the next little while. So it, it'll, it'll stay relevant in the thing. But it, 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 I think it served the fire service pretty well. Well, earlier in the podcast, we talked health maintenance and incident management. Those were Bruno's two initial, this is where we need to go with with this process. Mm -hmm. And he he put together two task groups, one for each, and and stepped out of the way and, and, and got it. We got to put it, put it, put it together. How do you think that the certification system lines up with answering that NIOSH top five? One of the things, um, and, and I've tried to kind of move this forward at, at work, we have, since we're a research organization, the, the bosses above me want scientific. Um, okay, we're, how, how we came up with the NIOSH five. It, and it, it was in one of our documents, how, how much research was put into it i don't know because it was for my time but um you know i it, it i think it's got a lot of validity to it and um I, I, i'm so glad you know we had that discussion today because a lot of people talked about it in their um their presentations a lot of people talk about those those top five things that are contributing factors to those line of duty deaths and when you look at them whether you want to quantify it from a statistical standpoint or not, you can go through the last 10 or so years and say, look, these are the things that are most prevalent. These are the things that keep popping up in these line of duty death reports. It doesn't matter what part of the country, it doesn't matter the size of the organization that you're dealing with. These are the things that keep popping up for everybody. So I think that old adage that we have in the fire service is that we're not finding new ways to hurt or ultimately end up killing firefighters. We keep doing the same things over and over we have to learn from those mistakes. And I think that's, that's the value, the inherent value to what you're doing with your reports is you're giving these organizations across the country, the opportunity, opportunity to learn from the loss that somebody else incurred. Uh, You don't have to experience it yourself. You don't have to walk a mile in those shoes on your own. Take the lessons learned, apply them to what you're doing. And it's just, probably the most unfortunate part of the fire service is that we seem to be unwilling to learn from those other losses and honor the people who made the ultimate sacrifice on the fire ground by not repeating those elements again. And, and, and you, you brought up a good point that when we write our reports, it's, it's not for the XYZ fire department that just suffered this terrible loss. 
we're trying to move it forward into the fire service. So how do we prevent this from happening again? And I think that's such a critical part of that. And a lot of people don't under, understand that, but that's the intent um, when we, we develop our investigation reports. Have you, have you found yourself over the last five or 10 years becoming more deliberate with what you're putting in the reports, more assertive or aggressive with what you're saying? Because when you look at it from a command standpoint, you know, you talk about blue card, um, you know, and it, it's introduction of the fire service in 2008. You talk about 1561. We talk about NIMS uh, and the role that it plays in organizing departments and, and organizations that are responding to incidents. I think there's something valuable, even, even the fire behavior side, you are getting more and more specific about the information that you are including. Is that a deliberate piece or, or is it just because our knowledge base has expanded so greatly that you have more information to share? I think a little of both. Okay. Um, and, and, um, the, the, um, as you all know, I use the SOPs that are on the website. I reference them quite a bit. And, um, but also like the, the modern five fire behavior from, from Dan and Steve at UL is that, um, these are things that the fire service, we're, we're giving them the information they need to take that and run with it. And, and hopefully that's what we're doing. If you can speak to it, what do you think the fire service reticence is to embrace some of that fire science, to embrace what we know about incident command? Why, why are we so hesitant to do what we ultimately know is right, not just for the incident, but to take care of our people, to ensure the health and safety of the members that are under our command? That That's a, Good question, Jeff. That's probably the $64,000 question. And as, as a research organization, <clears throat> hopefully we provide the most current, the, the most available information that we have, being able to, to drive that forward to the fire service. And um, it, it, I think it's just a, it, it's, it's so important. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. I think we're getting there. Um, we I told John earlier, you know, we'd like to take some of the credit from with 1500 for reducing firefighter fatalities, but also I, I would like to hopefully say NIOSH is, is, has done its part as well. We have no way to quantify that, but you know, hopefully that, 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 that we are. I I will say for one that what you have done for the fire service um, has been tremendous is, is that you have provided everybody with an opportunity to learn from the losses, to learn from those mistakes and the opportunity to get better, whether they've chosen to do that on their own or not, you've at least given them the tools and a direction to do so. So for that, I, I can't thank you enough. So thank you for what you've done. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I think the other side of it is like you look at, models that really work is uh, and look with like the uh, <clears throat> FAA and NTSB have done with airline safety. Yes. It's the safest form of transportation. It's, it's this and it's 
See, and when there's an incident with an airplane, is they go and investigate it. There's no, oh, do you mind if we come out? They don't, uh-uh. If you get in their way, you go to jail. So I think one of the things that uh, reduces the effectiveness of what you're doing is it's all voluntary. It's, you have to be invited in to do the investigation, and then you make recommendations. There's nothing that says they have to do them. Right. In fact, I, I'm guessing over the course of the investigations, a lot of places just, yeah, that's great. Okay, perfect. They put it in the closet, and they keep doing business as usual. So there's, there's, there's nothing to force that change within places that have those kind of it's just it's the workers there. That they, and, that, and that's what we're starting to see is they're saying, no, we ain't doing this anymore. This isn't smart. This is a waste of our talent. There's nothing uh, grand about sacrificing yourself on the altar of the fire. Despite what the idiots say on the stage jumping around, what will you die for? Not for your bullshit, buddy. Uh-uh, never. You're, they're imposters. They're playing dress-up is who they are. Most of them haven't been in a burning building in their whole goddamn life. <laughs> so we, we've heard it today, even from a few people about all these reports kind of say the same thing. And for some reason, our, our industry isn't realizing, yeah, they're saying the same thing because it's the same problems. And that, that top five uh, reasons that NIOSH has you probably connect like 5,000 things total to those five. I mean, when you really dig into it and break it down, yeah. I mean, the communications is all over the place. The risk management is, you know, all over the place. It's not just one specific thing, but people just read the the headline that says all oh, communications. They're like, Oh God, can you, here we go again with the communications. And there's all kinds of things that are, that are tied to that. And at, at some point, hopefully our, our industry realizes, yeah, because we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And Jeff said earlier, we've, we've found no new ways to, to kill ourselves. Our line of duties are still lining up the same way. And at some point, I think hopefully it can get funded that we start looking at all of these injuries on the fire ground because it will give us so much more, so many more numbers and, and more data to look at than the whatever the number will end up being this year of actual fire fatalities at on the fire ground. Cause it, that is such a small number compared to how many firefighters this year are never going to come back to work because they were critically yeah. physically injured on the fire ground. And, and those things line up to, those are those things that are lining up in the holes that are lining up to the line of duty death on the fire ground. That's the, that's the big miss. You know that we're, we look at the line of duty deaths and we investigate the line of duty deaths. But, you know, you go back to the Courage to be Safe program and the 16 life safety initiatives that, that everybody wanted to try to, to talk about as a means to prevent these line of duty deaths and slow this stuff down. But the reality is, is the line of duty deaths, the path to those deaths is littered with injuries and near misses. Yes. And being able to quantify those losses and talk about it, we can... We can talk about the Southwest in, or you know the Southwest in as a fire that the Houston Fire Department had. We can talk about the four firefighters that we lost initially that day, and then Captain Dowling a few years later. But you also have all the members that were injured that day, and some of them that were never able to come back to work. Those are huge losses, and it's not just the Houston Fire Department. 
This happens in the fire service across the country, and we're failing to capitalize on what those losses mean. We're not even trying to capture the own data internally. We have to start gathering numbers. We have to be, I think Nick said it perfectly, this can't be voluntary. It must be mandated. If you have an injury, if you have a loss, there's got to be a collection point where this information goes so we can quantify it, we can share it with the rest of the fire service so we can start to make the necessary changes. Because if they just keep happening without anybody knowing, we're going to keep going down the same path. We're not going to make any changes. Back when Bruno was chair, we, we addressed that issue of trying to capture how many firefighters are actually injured during a year. And um, we, we came very, very close. The IFF agreed to put together a program um, because no state collects data the same way. Um, Virginia may do it differently than New Hampshire and, and so forth and so on. So we, we actually had a, had a process in place and it unfortunately never went anywhere, but that, that would tell us, I, I totally agree with you. That's, that would tell us where, where we need to focus even more. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a thing we do on the B-Shifter podcast, and Murray's our honored guest. We uh, have Bruno's Timeless Tactical Truths in a deck of playing cards. And if you don't have a deck of these playing cards, we'll get you one, Murray, because you deserve it. Um, But uh, we just pick one at random, and we get everyone's thoughts on it. So we're going to start off with Murray on this one. Um, And it's the Two of Diamonds. (laughs) Two of Diamonds, everybody, for those playing along at home. And it says, from Bruno's mind, uh, the failure to assume command at the very beginning of operations consistently and predictably creates confusion, unsafe, and ineffective free enterprise beginnings. What are your thoughts on, on totally that? Totally agree. Totally agree. <laughs> um, and, and if we, we, again, not having any true data, but... We see it a lot of times in our investigation reports that um, command was never established. Um, people go right to work and going in different directions. And it, it, it just has to happen. And um, I, I, that's what is, is wonderful about this, this, this process. If it starts off shitty, it's going to end shitty. <laughs> There's never been an incident review where you said, hey, man, the first 15 minutes, all this was going so smooth, and then it just turned into a shit storm. Uh-uh. It's out. It's done. It's over. It's, it's it, Like Josh said, if it starts off bad, it, it's, it takes a fight, a street fight, to get it back under control. And I think that's one of the issues is people don't want to be unpopular. And, oh, they're going to be mad that I said to do this, and you can't do this anymore. And he says, hey, man. No, that ain't the way employment works. I'm sorry, but yeah, you don't get to set that. You work, this is what we do, and this is the way we do it, and this is why. So, yeah, you don't get to die on duty. So we're going to try to avoid that at all costs. Bruno always used to say the first five minutes are worth the next five hours. I think we put on the outside of the building. (laughs) If you don't don't get control of the event at the beginning of the event, then the firefighters are going to take control of them. 
if they don't sense that somebody's in charge of this, they're going to start acting on their own accord to do what they think is in the best interest of this event. And the problem is, is that it never really is. There has to be one unified voice that is in charge of this event from the very beginning. That's the only way we ensure the health and safety of the people. And that wraps up this edition of B-Shifter. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend. And uh, make sure you subscribe if you'd like to comment on anything that we talked about. If you have an idea for a future podcast or just want to get in touch with one of us, all that information could be found in the show notes for this episode. I'd like to thank Murray Laughlin for joining us remotely today. It was a great conversation. Until next time, thanks so much for listening, and please be safe.